What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Living Corporate. My name is Ade. So today, this conversation is going to be between Liz and Noah. We beg your patience. The audio quality is not the greatest, but it is an incredibly important conversation, and we hope you give it a listen. The conversation today is between Liz, who many of you are familiar with, and Noah, who is a Latinx trans man. And Noah spends some time exploring his different experiences over time. And uh, Liz has a, a great conversation with Noah about what it means to be a first gen trans man. As you know, he he did not originally begin his interactions in the in corporate spaces as simply a queer person. His his transition followed the, the course of his career. His transition happened concurrently with his with his career. It, it's an important conversation. I think it's an interesting one to to listen in on, and I think it's also important for anyone who identifies as an ally to understand what life is like and what it means to exist at all these different intersectionalities or all of these different intersections of identity and how that might affect your work experience. In particular, Noah illustrates his point with several anecdotes about his experience in the workplace and juxtaposes his experience with you know, what others might have um, experienced or what they did experience in comparison to what the reaction was to his behavior in the workplace. And I think it's so important that as we, particularly for uh, folks who manage others, that as we function within corporate spaces, that we understand what it means to hold space for others, what it means to be allies, what it means to manage others responsibly and with that i'm gonna let liz and and noah take it away we hope you enjoy the conversation please send any questions or comments our way we would love to hear from you thank you for listening this is living corporate thanks for joining the podcast i'm here today with noah Noah brings us an incredible story of survivorship. We've talked about how being labeled, being boxed in, finding your place on the spectrum of what it is. Because his story is so rich in terms of losses of, um, of race and gender and ethnicity um, that, that come together and, and create our, um, that are particularly challenging to navigate. And so I'm really happy for you to introduce yourself, please, to, to the group. Awesome. Well, first of all, it's an, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, um, sorry, listen to response. And, uh, you know, I always forget that, the, um, your other's experiences because it's inevitably at least person out there. So, um, yeah, thanks again for having me. My name is Noah. A full disclaimer, um, Liz and I met in... We did go to, to Rice University together um, way back in the day, right? <laughs> uh, back in the day. Um, 
So I'm originally from, I was born to Mexican immigrants. Uh, born and raised in Houston, obviously did uh, university there at Rice. And um, yeah, I, I feel like I've lived three lifetimes in, in this sort of amount I've been on this earth. Uh, went from, uh, you know, coming out as queer in college to eventually moving across the country. I'm now, and uh, I am in my late 30s. I so my medical transition uh, just a few years ago. I consider myself uh, female to male, transgender man. And um, yeah, I, I, I moved up to England for graduate school. And yeah, I, I've had a whirlwind of an experience the last uh, last few years. I thought whirlwind is probably the right. <laughs> of your life, you had a diversity of career experiences. I mean, you're an educator as well as a scholar. Uh, you, you've done so many uh, different things over the course of your career. How have you found that your expression of self has changed in terms of presentation across those different environments? It really, really has changed over the years. Um, so yeah, I, I began my my professional life um, during college after we talking, you know, mid two thousands, and I was at the time out as a lesbian. And when I was working, you know, certain jobs, I actually started my career in the corporate world before I became an educator. And you know, I was I was uh, seen as as a, a quote-unquote bitch lesbian, I um, tended to dress in more masculine clothing. That's how I've always felt comfortable. Um, but also because of the way that I would be looked at by, by, by bosses and supervisors, you know, I felt very uncomfortable even just trying to dress and present as myself. Uh, when I began teaching middle school and high school, my... My, present, my, my presentation didn't change, uh, but I was also out at, the, at that time as genderqueer. Uh, I was very afraid of students and their parents Googling me and, you know, finding articles about my, my gender identity, gender queerness, and how that would impact me at work. I, you know, obviously wasn't at the point of, you know, wearing ties to my job, you know, something that's for khakis and a dress shirt. When a feminine person wears them versus when a person who is in the center wears them, you know, it, it really does change, you know, the way you carry yourself if, if you're looked at as, as the capital O other. Um, that I have medically transitioned, I'm pretty much cis, cisgender passing, and I'm currently looking for work, uh, I feel like the way that I, I dress professionally, you wouldn't blink an eye at me anymore. The way it used to be, this this huge, huge deal. You know, I have a really funny story about a temporary job I had right out of college. I was working for a software company, and the superhero I was doing um, data entry and data analysis for the sales department, and I was pulled, you know, from my little cubicle and asked to speak to the manager for a moment. And he went into this really long spiel about my presentation, about dress code. And he's used the funniest words. He was like, you know, 
you know, you're very, uh, you're a very colorful person. You are very visible. I, I mean, these are, those were quotes I will never forget. And finally, at the end of that conversation, I said, well, sir, what would you like me to do? And I was thinking to myself, oh, this guy's going to ask me to wear dresses and skirts to work. And he said, well, could you take that extra earring out? I asked him, what exactly do you want out of this? He, he just, you know, I had a, a, an extra earring up in my, you know, cartilage, top part of the ear. So I took that out and said, okay, um, are we done here? Can I go back to work? He said, okay, I, I think I just, I confirmed him at the end of the conversation. I think I just made him nervous about what it was really about, you know? So, so yeah, it, it's, that's a very interesting question because obviously, I've been through this really strange gamut of experiences just regarding wearing colored shirts and slacks to work. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it seems like the most mundane thing, right? Putting on pants and a shirt to go to the office. Literally and, putting on pants to go to the office. It's so fraught for people in our community. And it's something I think about as well in terms of how do I express my own identity. I've always, I mean, my insides have always matched my always identified as a more always identified um, femme of center. But certainly an aspect of my identity has been that I'm not high femme. And it's, it's so interesting to see how we navigate this, this um, impression management that we're others. Um, and in some senses, you know, for ourselves, I, there was a period of time, certainly in my early twenties, where I I know that I know that I was dressing for me because I was trying to I was trying to do something to feel like I belonged because instead I was spending a lot of energy fitting in, and it was it was not working. Understandably, yeah. So, you know. I find it really interesting that you know now, as you say, um, you really you really pass as as a uh, as a cisgender male. And if anyone were to pass you on the street, they they wouldn't give you a second glance um, right. because of because you do present certainly masculine center. I'm curious, you know, as somebody who um, was you know had a, had a gender queer identity. Um, somebody who has always had um, the ability to appreciate and um, and revere the, the benefits of of the feminine, um, not necessarily not necessarily identify with the feminine, but certainly to to embrace the feminine. Do you feel that you're in any way now um, boxed in? By by the way in which you're read, or have you have you achieved? Have you Interesting question. Um, when I come out to people, you know, uh, uh, the non-binary, um, I don't want to say the center because that's you know, but the you know outside the realm of you know the binary ones and zeros. I, I, I do feel sometimes pigeonholed as to you know what, what people expect of me. Do I per even in professional settings to wear your typical masculine clothing? Of course, but you know in my in my day to day life, you know to be super restricted. Um, not that I necessarily want to wear you know hyper feminine clothing either, but restricted as to what is masculine, what is feminine. You know it it, 
it brings to mind a lot of you know past experiences on what is acceptable of the feminine person to wear versus the masculine. Uh, when you look at the same articles of clothing, and it's, it's interesting that our, our conversations already kind of devolved over to just clothing, but I mean, it's it's a <laughs> it's a very visible part of our, our community. It's it's a, it's a huge part of our oppression. Um, I'll give you another great uh, firsthand example. When I was an educator, I one day went into the teachers' lounge to make some copies, as we are often doing, and. I was teaching summer school, and I was wearing, you know, simple khakis, collared shirt, and uh, a pair of, you know, Converse sneakers. It was summertime, and, you know, we weren't dressed as hyper-professionally as usual. I had noticed during the week that one of the female-identified teachers was wearing a nice skirt and blouse with some matching uh, Converse, which I thought was an adorable look, and uh, that was no big deal. I wear you know, a very similar outfit on the masculine of the spectrum. And as I am making copies of day, the school director walks in, stands next to me, puts his hands in his pockets, looks down at my feet, and just stands there until I noticed him. Which is a very typical managerial tactic in Guarda or in any organization. So, you know, let them probably know what you think without saying anything, um, which I've always found very strange. You know, he just stood at my shoes until I looked at them and looked at him and he noticed I acknowledged what he was looking at and walked away. And I thought, well, this is so strange. The same simple article of clothing is okay for a woman to wear at work. But because at the time, you know, I was presenting as a masculine woman, um, there was a different reaction. And to this day, I, I just find that so very strange and wonder, you know, now that we've progressed a little bit as a society, would that still have been a big deal today? You know? So, again, that, that's just, you know, one, one very small example. But should I today, um, let's say I, you know, end up teaching high school again, for example. If I were to walk in, now that I'm just passing with your standard male, you know, masculine professional outfit, if I wore a uh, the mascara and eyeliner, for example, because I felt comfortable doing that that day, would that be acceptable or would that also cause, you know, a issue with a school director or with administration? I don't know. I think that's, that's such a, a fair question, and I think it's one that many people are grappling with as they come to identify and, and find their gender expression as not fitting one of society's particularly rigid norms. Right. And again, we're just talking clothing so far. You know, we haven't even gotten into what it would be like to change your hairstyle or, you know, to, to, yeah, to, to, do, to do the makeup thing. Whether you are a, fem a feminine, uh, male-identified person, or, you know, there, there's so many different factors at play when it comes to gender presentation. Um and that's just, again, gender presentation. We haven't gotten into queer identity. There's, there's, there's so many factors at play um, that we go into, so I'll let you guide the conversation. <laughs> well, I so appreciate you bringing that up, though, because that's, that really, to me, is, is at the heart of our conversation, is the, is the incredible richness of the experience, but also all of the nuance and all of the texture. And mm. the reality of it, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to the clothing. Because I think one of the one of the areas that I know I have seen, um, I've, I've 
typically I, I've seen bias is is around clothing and clothing that is to be worn by you know by by race, right? Like I've seen I, I've certainly seen stereotypes played out and it's it's a it is a form I mean it's what I'm what I'm interested in is kind of your perspective on how you know son of immigrants uh, having a very strong Latinx identity yourself, one that you I know you're very proud of for good reason, um, mm-hmm. and and wanting to wanting to express yourself not just in terms of your gender identity, but also in terms of your cultural identity. How how do you see the interplay of those two things? Because for me, it seems like an incredible challenge. Particularly, particularly in, in communities um, of, of black and brown folk who are battling to you know multiple type multiple biases and stereotypes around around presentation uh, mm-hmm. with their queerness and so Absolutely. I'm curious what you what you think, think and feel about that right. Um. Well, I guess a very good specific example um, of that intersectionality would be our hair. You know, which has become a hot button hot button issue, even in in the news recently. You know, you've got uh, you know black folks who uh, have dreads, and in certain companies or school districts or or or, or businesses, I'm told that they have to cut off their hair, which is a clearly clearly racist request of them. You know. Um, and so the, the intersectionality of, of, of being a black and brown person and, you know, presenting in a way to, you know, pride in your own race and who you are, on top of being queer, just makes things, you know, a thousand times more difficult. Um, you know, when, when let, let's, for example, if a, if a masculine lesbian is to, you know, have longer hair and then uh, cut it, after, you know, having been employed for a while by any organization. You know, that's something that I feel is still an issue depending on the part of the country that you're in. Um, you know, to see a woman suddenly take on a masculine hairstyle and to be a woman of color um, definitely affects the way that that person is going to be perceived at work um, as well. You know, again, because I had the, the previous identity of a quote-unquote lesbian who had short hair, depending on how my hair was, was done, um, I would get different uh, reaction from my bosses, whether it was in corporate America or in education. You know, if my uh, my hair reflected uh, you know, black and brown culture, I love to go to a barber shop, get my edges done. You know, these are things that people of color, you know, love to do when we have short hair and we're, you know, masculine of center. Um, those kinds of hairstyles would, you know, make a manager or boss's eyebrow pop up, and I feel that those are those subconscious racial biases that a lot of folks don't realize that they have. You know, and like I said, you have that happening. Plus, it's a person of queer identity. You know, at that point, again, depending on what, it, it, it tends to be a can of worms um, with a lot of people's subconscious biases. Bias around around hair, and um, you talked mm. about makeup and clothing presentation. 
especially, as you said, as it pertains to those in, uh, those in the communities of color. Because again, you're, you're in a heavily, typically, a heavily white dominated environment. And there is, there is not necessarily a, a whole lot of tolerance for the other. And that, and that is something where I think it's, it's particularly striking to me when you, know, you Google um, you know, unprofessional hair and you see, you see pictures pop up, again, of, of dreads and braids and some of, some of, the, most beautiful, some of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Um, and, and yet uh, the, the comfort of the majority requires the silence and suppression of, of the minority. Absolutely. So, one of the things that you know you you've never been shy about uh, is your activism. You, right. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's 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 one of the things that I've always admired most of. And I, you know, I, I think literally um, of always looked for ways to uh, to really bring your story out and and to make things very personal. And it goes back, I think, to um, to something that uh, I think I think it was a joint class we might have been in together. Uh, and mm-hmm. and one of the underlying themes was that um, when when you're trying to convince people of something, when when you're trying to change behavior, the way to do it is is to get is to get people to believe in stories and to connect to connect with people, to getting them to connect with facts. And so. When I think of you know your personal story and and how much of your story you've put out there, I'm curious, as you know, as the son of as the son of immigrants, as a, as a first generation American, how how comfortable has has your family become with um, you know with the part in a sense that they play that they play in your activism? Uh, it may not you know it's not necessarily active with signs in the street, but um, yeah. they certainly they certainly are a huge part of your life and, and a huge part of who you are and how you express who you are. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about how, how your identity over the years um, and how, that, how that's impacted and influenced your family? Absolutely. Um, my folks are really, really amazing people. Um, shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> uh, my mom especially has been my biggest supporter um, in everything that I've done, you know, both professionally and and socially. Um, I, you know, I, I, I feel like part of my, my activism, besides literally going into the streets and holding up signs at certain protests over my lifetime, has always been, you know, just to educate. I, I'm one of those people that strongly believes Educating the masses is has got to be the foundation of any activism. We're not going to get anywhere without teaching people about who we are. Um, like you said, facts. Um, not to use this word. Well, I hate to use this word, but, but sadly, personal connection trumps facts <laughs> sometimes. If you know a queer person, if you know a trans person of color, if you know uh, lesbians next door, all of a sudden, you know, you see a lot of. Um, this had people realize that, that, that these issues are important because they affect real, real people. So, yeah, when I, when I came out to my parents, uh, 
obviously I came out a couple of times um, initially as a queer at 19 in college. And, you know, my, my dad's initial reaction verbatim was, whatever you do, don't let this uh, ruin your life. And I thought that was a very strange phrase for him to use, but he said in English. And, you know, talking to my mom about it later, I realized what he meant by it um, was to not allow my identity to be something that affects me at work uh, or be something that, you know, causes me um, to be hurt by someone or to become depressed. Unfortunately, while that was a very well-meaning thing to say, it, it did impact me in all of those ways. You know, uh, my, my father's brother, uh, my uncle Ezekiel, uh, was gay himself in a very small town in Mexico. Um, he died just a few years ago, about seven years ago, um, of alcohol-related illnesses, um, which I believe is what was, was partially because of him being queer in a very, very small town in, in rural Mexico. You know, so my father was very aware of, of the impact socially that, that being queer can have on someone, you know. Um, so he's been a big part in just kind of being protective. Uh, he's fully accepting of my identity, but again, he's, he's uh, a very practical man and has always been concerned about how my identity will impact me scholastically at, at work in, 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 the, in just general society. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, has always had more of a, not necessarily a hands-on approach to supporting the activists. Pardon me, but um, I'll give you a great example. I was interviewed about uh, my genderqueer identity uh, back in maybe 2006, 2007. And this was in one of the local papers. And she went to the grocery store to pick up a couple of them. And, you know, one of my friends was on the cover of this magazine, this uh, local newspaper, was, uh, you know, just walking out of Kroger picking up these, these 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 newspapers and she said someone looked at her really funny because the title, you know, was was, was very obvious a queer article and she looked at this person and she said that she said, Well well my my child is in this magazine and she just, you know, picked up a bunch more and walked away. You know, little things like that that, that show her support, you know, <laughs> socially. Which I which I think, you know, little things like that make a huge impact. You know, this Whoever was looking at her stuff in a pair over picking up this particular magazine probably changed their mind a little bit. You know, like, oh, gosh, I didn't realize like, you know, that. That's the reason why this woman was picking up a bunch of these newspapers. There were television in this article, and that's a big thing, you know. And, uh, and to this day, you know, whatever I'm doing regarding, you know, school stuff, recent graduation, um, getting back into, into the workforce, you know, my mom has been um, both scared for me as well as very proud you know, as you know, I, I recently, you know, survived a traumatic brain injury. And uh, speaking to my mom about that in person, you know, she, she, she was really, really scared. Um, you know, and, and all, my entire family was very impacted by that. To this day, we we don't know if it was a hate crime or not. You know, there, there was no uh, video evidence. Um, all this was investigated by local police to... to, to to narrow down any suspects and arrest anyone. So, you know, the, this this assault is just going to be part of my history that is, you know, it, it's going to be this horrible mystery of, of who may have done this, but um, on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to be here to be able to tell that story, to be able to 
to, you know, teach my parents, you know, what it's like to be a, a queer person and trans person old and to see them grow and change. But to grow and be, become so accepting and be, you know, just the, the, the model of uh, trans parents, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I think, I think it's, 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 it's what keeps me optimistic at the end of the day. I'm looking forward today, for example. Um, you know, never again going to be in the closet. I never again want to work for an You know, goes out of the way to make sure, you know, queer folks at, at, at this organization or place of employment color feel safe, feel uh, just as valued a part of the team. You know, I I don't see myself doing anything different. I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, being employed again at any place where I'd have to be in the closet or hide who I am. Because all that does is, you know, hurt not only myself, but it hurts the rest of the community. You know, anyone in our community not able to be visible, you know, that, that reverberates out into the rest of the community. We feel that. by the passion with which you speak um, because I, I know that one it, it's just it comes from so deep within you um, but also I, I know how much you have loved other people who have had similar you know similar challenges um, maybe they, they did not necessarily have supportive families the way that you did uh, and, right. and they struggled you know they struggled with with academics they struggled they struggled to find employment and I mean again I I'm grateful you know and, and, and appreciative to you for, for bringing up um, your assault and I'm so sorry that you had to go through that experience and the TBI I I'm curious having had that experience and what the um, Knowing what the statistics are like in the United States for, um, frankly, around the world, for violence against trans persons, but in particular, trans trans people of color. What what do you think is it needs needs to happen from a um, from a societal mindset shift and change? What? What is, I mean, what is the, what, what is going to be the tipping point um, when, when you think this, this will really, this will really be combated in society? I think it's, it's, the solution has, it's people of color in general, you know, sadly I became part of the statistics, which, you know, infuriated me, but at the same time, you know, once I was well enough to, to rationalize things <laughs> mentally, I, I, I was not that surprised. Um, so, so I think the solution has to be at least twofold. Um, trans women of color are, especially black trans women, you know, are the most statistically like, and, um, and, and some of them are sex workers because it is so difficult in a society to be a trans person of color, again, especially a black trans woman, and look for gainful employment without the discrimination that's, that's rampant out there. So some people turn to sex work as part of a way to combat poverty. You know, it's a survival tactic. Um, so we've got to look at, at, at poverty. We've got to look at systemic racism and transphobia in the workplace, how that impacts queer and trans folks, especially queer and trans folks of color, and their ability to just simply go out, work, make a living. Um, so we're looking at, 
you know, the need for, in my opinion, we've got to have a federal equality, uh, you know, legislation put in. Um, it's, 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 it can't be just state to state anymore. There's got to be a federal bill outlawing discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity in the workplace. And that in and of itself will be huge in, in helping, like I said, trans folk of color working, you know, having stable income, um, helping with poverty. Um, and on the other hand, you know, we've got to keep educating society and keeping queer and trans folk in the history books, keeping queer and trans folk in mind when you're teaching anything from musical history to uh, the you know American history, we, we we've got to keep queer and trans folk in mind, um, not only in in, in in you know traditional high school college education, but also you know in the workplace. Are we you know are we uh, not only having you know these I hate the word diversity lately, but are we having you know diversity? Uh, or, or educational workshops in organizations. You know, are we are we teaching um, teachers, uh, for example, to, to to better understand their uh, trans and queer students? You know, so so it, it's got to be a, you've got to have a nuanced approach um, to solving the issue. But at the end of the day, it all starts with legislation and education. Now, you said the word legitimate, and I just want to emphasize that, you know, sex work is also work. I am uh, pro-sex worker rights, and I think that should also be legalized in order to help people who are in sex work and don't want to be in it anymore be able to get out of it freely. Um, and also for people that are victims of sex trafficking to be able to go to authorities and say what's going on without fear of being arrested for sex work. So that's a whole other issue, but it is... Um, you know, unfortunately, very, very related to, um, you know, to, to, to trans folk who are in poverty and, and go that route. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And that's actually, I really am you, you calling, you calling that work on the end on that. Help me, what, what should, what, sh- how should, how should I, how should I draw the contrast? What, how else can I describe it? Well, I mean, I, 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 would, I think it's simply, it's, it's uh, a matter of people finding the work that they really want to do. You know, if someone wants to be um, a sex worker in the in the in the realm of, let's say, uh, then you know, um, being part of or 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 even you know, you know, uh, boudoir photography. You know, there, there are many many different things that are sex work um, besides prostitution. So we have to look at it, you know, again in a more nuanced way, and um, you know, just just. Just looking at things as a, 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 in, in the matter of 
why, why do people sometimes end up in jobs they don't like? Well, it's not just people end up, it, it's not just sex work, obviously. Some of us end up in, you know, cubicles doing humdrum, super monotonous things just because we want to have some sort of income that they don't like, you know? So, just looking at it more broadly, I, I just feel like sex work as a whole needs to be destigmatized. Um, and, and, and looked at it as, again, something that some people do because they absolutely want to and something that others do, um, just like any other job, um, because they're just trying to find a source of income. So so looking at it in a way that takes the shame out of it, that makes sense? That, that totally makes sense. And thank you for, thank you for that and for, uh, for educating me on that. You've, uh, you've talked about uh, your own search for employment. I mean, I know, I know now you, you recently finished your graduate degree and, and very unfortunately, tragically, um, your, your next steps were put on, on hold by, by your assault and your injury. But now, you are, but now you are getting yourself back out there and you are, you are looking for and, and pursuing new opportunities. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier about how you are specifically, um, you know, looking for organizations where you can be yourself, where you uh, will not be back in the closet because that's we're out of the closet. And so I'm curious how how have you been evaluating uh, how have you been evaluating potential places of work. And mm-hmm. um, is or is that is that a privilege? Being is being able to do that a privilege going back to going back to the topic that we, we were just on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, great question. Um, I do take into account uh, the fact that I do have uh, privilege in certain areas. Um, I have educational privilege that I know a lot of my peers. You know, just weren't able to have um, either because of their grades in high school, not being able to go to college, or um, financially not being able to even you know get to the college they were accepted to, um, graduate school. That 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 obviously makes me you know hyper privileged as far as education is concerned. So I'm I'm very very grateful to have been able to attain um, these these things in my life. Uh, again, I currently live in New England. I'm in Massachusetts, and uh, another piece of my my privilege that a lot of people don't have is the ability to decide if I'm going to go uh, back home to, to my home state of Texas and work or if I'm going to stay in this particular state. Um, right now, my journey is keeping me here in Massachusetts, um, number one, first and foremost, because, you know, ironically enough, I feel safer here <laughs> despite the TBI. Um, I feel safer as far as uh, could all be treated at a place of employment, whether I end up at an organization or end up at uh, an institution of higher learning or um, back in public education. Uh, we just passed um, Proposition 3, which was uh, legislation, going back to legislation being important. Uh, Massachusetts now has uh, it in, in the books that it is illegal to discriminate in public spaces. Uh, if, if someone's gender identity uh, or sexual orientation, military status, so many factors, any of those things, um, uh, all of those things are now protected under Massachusetts law regarding, um, again, public accommodations uh, as well as employment. Um, 
So as far as that that goes, I feel safer if I were to to work up here in Massachusetts versus Texas, where and people forget this in Texas, you can still be fired for being gay. You can still be fired for being queer, being bisexual, transgender. You can still be fired in Texas. So um, that's been a huge part of, of my decision making as far as uh, ge- geographically where I'm gonna uh, where I'm gonna stay, and also looking at you know different. Um, Organizations. I'm, I've, I've been looking at nonprofits, DOIs, institutional power, and you know, again, I'm, I'm blessed that uh, most moment where I um, are much more progressive as far as you know treatment of employees. Not to say that New England is perfect by any means. You know, we've got our issues up here that we're constantly dealing with. Hence, you know, continued activism and and literally getting out of the streets and and, and protesting. You know awful things when they happen, but, yeah, like, like, like that, uh, uh, I do, I do consider, um, my privilege also now that I'm just passing, you know, I go to an interview now, people listen to me rather than kind of look away like they used to when I was, uh, a woman, a woman presenting, uh, masculine, a masculine center presenting woman, um, versus now. And that, that's an entirely different conversation, the difference of how I get received and, and uh, <laughs> how much more people listen when you have uh, a male voice versus versus what it was before? Yes, I think that patriarchy is an entirely different conversation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> entirely different. So, Noah, Noah, looking toward the future and thinking about, you know, thinking about your legacy and, and what, you know, what you want to, what you want to create and and leave in this world and what you know what what the what the imprint that you are going to make is where do you see where do you see the arc of of your career your activism your journey where do you see where do you see that going and what what is your what's what's your hope for for the future and for for those listening who are are still not able to be living their fully authentic selves in, in the place that they're in. Um, what what words of encouragement do you have? That's such a beautiful question. Um, <laughs> I I do want to have children at some point. You know, when, when you said the word legacy, I immediately thought of not just the, the physical things that I'll leave behind and not just you know, words I'll leave behind, but I, I actually do want to have, have, have children at some point. And, uh, and as corny as it sounds, leave them with a, a, a better world than what I came in with. You know, um, a school I used to teach that we had this, uh, this statement, um, we always leave a place better than we found it. And I would teach the kids that doesn't just mean walking in the cafeteria and, you know, picking up trash or going on a field trip and, you know, making sure to wipe your shoes before you walk in and stuff on car. But, you know, it's, it's more than just that. It's literally, let's leave this entire planet better than we found it. And so I've, I've kept that as a mantra with me. So, you know, as far as that goes, I would love to, um, I have a, a, one, one book I've written of short stories that I'm, I'm seeking to get published. I want to leave some, some writing behind. Um, I've been debating whether or not to write a memoir or whether or not that would be, um, if I would be doing it for the right reasons, um, for, 
being visible for the sake of others and not ego, then I may pursue that in the future. Um, but I want my personal legacy to be education behind, um, whether it's just, you know, teaching students high school and college level and impacting their lives in that way, or whether it's through my writing or, or through my activism. I, I, I want to leave more knowledge behind um, and more visibility for queer and trans folk. Um, as far as, you know, this next generation, I'm actually so super hopeful um, when I look at Generation Z, which I think is what they want to be called, I'm not sure. <laughs> but the, the generation we'll let them self-identify. We'll let them self-identify, exactly. You know, um, when we come from what I call the Oregon Trail generation, you know, when, you know, growing up, we experienced so many beautiful things after Stonewall, but we weren't there yet regarding, you know, certain things like marriage equality. Okay, we've got marriage equality. What's the next step? Or we're looking at again, you know, having a federal anti-discrimination bill that that that, that includes gender identity and sexual orientation. You know, it's been fifty years since Stonewall. I don't want it to take another fifty years for me to be. And my words of encouragement for you know folks that are still in the closet and, and for the younger folk coming out um, as queer, trans, non-binary, keep fighting the good fight. There's so much left to be done, um, despite all of the, 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 the things that we've accomplished. We can't stop. We can't get comfortable. That's when things regress. So we've got to keep fighting the good fight. And again, we need legislation. We need education. Well, I can end on that. Thank you so much for having me. It really is an honor. Thanks so much. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.